0: Welcome back to the podcast you are listening to let it out with me. I'm your host Katie Dillbout. I've been doing this since 2013 and it's my favorite thing that I've ever done. I say that almost every week. If you're new, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad you found the podcast. And if you are not new, if you've been around for a while listening to these episodes, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. If you have a podcast that you want to start, let me know. I would love to help you. Email me. All the info will be in the show notes. I'm recording this from Arizona. I'm on vacation with my boyfriend and I've never been here before. Thank you guys so much for your suggestions. I mentioned in the Secret Listener Facebook Club that I was coming here to Sedona and I got so many recommendations from you guys. So thank you. And if you're going on a trip, highly recommend. Writing in there that you're going, and you can get suggestions from cool people. That's what I did, and it was great. If you want to join the Facebook group, the link is in the show notes. We also have this Patreon page where we give away other content like special episodes that I don't put on the feed, and I'm doing a listener monthly discussion we're talking about indecision this month and we also are doing a like there'll be journaling prompts that I put on there and then a monthly content club I'm calling it because sometimes we'll discuss books sometimes we'll discuss movies or a tv show I'm choosing something different every single month this month is Practical Magic. I watched it for the first time after Lacey Phillips last week's podcast guest and if you haven't listened to that episode highly recommend it. I've been getting so much great feedback on that episode. It was the first one of the new season so thank you so much for everyone who shared that they were listening and told me what they thought. It means so much and anyway so Lacey recommended that movie Practical Magic that came out in the 90s with Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman and I loved it so much. We're talking about that for the month of April. So join the Patreon page. We have like a suggested donation for coming into the Facebook group of a dollar a month. That's $12 a year. If you can do that, great. If not secret, we'll let you in anyway, but it'd be cool if you want to support the podcast so I can keep doing it and doing more of it. Okay. This week's episode is with Kim Johnson, Kimberly Johnson. I love her so much. I serendipitously met her when she was in New York this fall and saw her speak and knew instantly that I wanted to both work with her and have her on the podcast. She lives in California. She has a practice in Encinitas and LA, and she's a sexological body worker, a birth doula, and she specializes in helping people heal emotionally, physically, relationally, spiritually, and I'm so glad I found her. When she was in New York this winter, I had a session with her, and it was one of the most life-changing things that I've ever done. I, I learned a lot about my body. I'm not someone who is very connected to my body. I'm working on it. I'm trying to be, I want to be better at that, but I didn't grow up really understanding my body or my sexuality or my vagina. And even knowing like what was what and what was where. And this session really helped me to do that. She'll tell you exactly what she does in her sessions, but, I'm really happy that I did something out of my comfort zone and I worked with Kimberly and I I hope that if it's something that you feel like would be beneficial to you that you try it too even if it's outside of your comfort zone and definitely check out her book. I just on the plane to Arizona ordered two copies to two people in my life who are pregnant right now and I'm so happy that I did. I think it's going to be a great gift for them and if you know someone who recently had a baby or is having a baby highly recommend her book the fourth trimester we talk about it a bit in this episode as well as talking about intimacy and connection we get into painful sex we talk about the me too movement we talk about connection motherhood and a lot more i think you'll really like this episode let's get to it as quickly as possible i'll talk to you at the end thank you so much for listening Today's episode is brought to you in part by FreshBooks.com. You know FreshBooks. You love FreshBooks. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I use FreshBooks. I love it. It's the easy to use online cloud accounting software. You can personalize the colors and you can even add your logo. It's great for sending invoices. It really makes you look buttoned up and it's great for tax season. You can even set up FreshBooks to import expenses directly from your bank account. So whenever you purchase something for your business, it instantly uploads it to freshbooks i love it and freshbooks is ridiculously easy to set up it's made for people who don't like dealing with numbers and their taxes right now freshbooks is offering a free 30-day unrestricted trial to our listeners so to claim it just go to freshbooks.com slash let it out, it out and enter let it out in the how did you hear about us section that's freshbooks.com slash let it out and enter let it out the how did you hear about us section thank you freshbooks do you guys know about the brand Third Love? They make bras and underwear designed for the modern woman. When it comes to bra shopping, it's all about finding the right fit for you. And there's only one lingerie brand that offers bras in sizes double A through G and half cup sizes. And of course, that brand is Third Love. They use thousands of real women's measurements to create bras that fit, look, and feel great. To find the bra that you've been waiting for, all you need to do is go to 3rd Love's website and take their Fit Finder quiz that takes about 60 seconds and from the comfort of your own home, you can find the bra that's best for you. I hate dressing rooms and with 3rd Love, you can try on bras from the comfort of your own home and returns and exchanges are always free and easy. This year, make the change that will make you change the way you think about bras. Go to thirdlove.com slash let it out to find the perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash let it out for 15% off. Thank you, Third Love. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm so glad that, um, I feel like we've been planning this interview for a couple months. I know. Since we first met. And I'm glad we finally did it. We made it happen. I told you this yesterday when I had my amazing session with you, which we can talk about too. I was so struck with you when I met you at the fullest brunch. You were so magnetic and I learned so much from you during that lecture. And I still think about it now. Mm-hmm. And I wrote some notes down. Here that I wanted to talk about with you, but it's funny because I almost didn't stay at that brunch when you did your talk. I had to leave. I had to get to something, and I was about to leave, and I got a text that where I needed to go was canceled, and so it was very serendipitous that I was even there, and then it became this like watershed moment where I got to learn so much, and it's, your work has been so helpful to me. Anyway, so since then I've been really excited to have you on the podcast and so since you're a sexual educator and a doula and a writer and an amazing speaker from when I met you and a vagina proctor, (laughs) let's start there. What does that actually mean? How did you get into this work? Tell us everything. Um, well, somebody called me a vaginopractor,
1: so it's not what I call myself. <laughs> okay. But I think it's just a way to contextualize the work because what I do is so unusual that
2: yeah.
1: um, when someone hears vaginopractor, it kind of gives them a certain idea of what might happen. At least they know they're going to have hands-on work and yeah. that it will be structural properly. It's probably. a good word. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Catchy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... I work with women to help them understand their own bodies and their sexuality and uh, anything that has to do with their pelvic, gynecological or re- <clears throat> reproductive health. And uh, I do that in a hands-on hands-in way. So I track women's nervous systems at the same time as I'm doing the hands-on work.
0: So how did you how did you learn that? How did you? come to this work and decide that you wanted to work with women in a hands-on way well I was a yoga teacher for a long time and um,
1: then I was a rolfer which is a kind of structural body work at the same time and then when I had a baby my pelvic floor tore and so I had an injury and to recover from that injury I needed hands-on work and Uh, in three sessions, I healed a whole bunch of symptoms that I was told required surgery. And so I was able to heal them non-surgically. And then as a result of that, many women started telling me their stories about difficulty orgasming, painful sex, ovarian cysts, endometriosis, abortions, miscarriages, and all of the many, many challenges women have in their pelvises and so it just was an obvious step for me to take to do the work because I already did structural work in rolfing we would work in mouths and noses and it just was obvious to me that the pelvic floor was uncharted territory that people were afraid to touch and um so I was basically just called to it when a lot of people started asking me for help
0: yeah so for people who aren't familiar with your sessions, like me, who just had one yesterday, Mm -hmm. what is a session with you like?
1: It really depends on the person. It depends on what they're coming for and what their goals for the work are. Some people are coming for something really specific, like they wet their pants when they sneeze, or um, they have never had enjoyable penetration, or um, they haven't recovered after they had a baby, and they're having a hard time figuring out who they are again. So It really depends on what someone's looking for. In an average session, there's a check-in at the beginning so that I can get an idea about how someone's nervous system is, how they're doing, just arriving, because it's very charged to take a hold of your sexuality and come to someone who's not a doctor and also not your lover and um, be in a vulnerable space with that person. So there has to be some orientation and settling so that the nervous system is in a good place to receive the work if the internal work is something that a person's looking for and feels like that's the right direction for them. And then, uh, yeah, it's a step-by-step process where I narrate everything that's happening so there's no Mm -hmm. surprises and it doesn't feel clinical like a gynecologist's office. I sit on the table with the person that I'm working with generally and um, just have a chance to let the body talk and sometimes people's legs feel they can't feel them and they dissociate or they they look a little bit frozen and then if I ask them how they're doing they're not really sure but then I say oh it looks like you're a little frozen and maybe your legs are light and then they're like oh yeah I think that's true and um, it's hard for me to be here right now or sometimes people have emotional reactions there's a lot of emotion and trauma stored in the pelvis and um, a lot of experiences where people felt helpless or powerless, even if it was a necessary thing like a surgery. And so the body needs a chance to complete those responses and uh, come out of the freeze state or come, complete some of the fight or flight responses that happen if we've had surgeries or we were strapped down or we've just been in a place where we couldn't defend ourselves for whatever reason.
0: Yeah. what I'm really glad that I was able to experience a session with you because... I want to pick up on something you said which is that you narrate everything that's happening and I think that's so important because like you said it's so foreign you know other than these very intimate experiences in our lives or clinical experience which can also be traumatic it's uncomfortable to talk about these things for so many people and to be in you know going into doing something like this to not know what's going on that was so comforting to me that you were explaining everything that you were doing and and why you were doing it and what I experienced was not knowing what was going on or how I was feeling and you mentioned that with just now of how someone might be tuning out or not being present in their body is that something that's common of people wanting to kind of mentally leave the table or mentally leave the experience and not being fully present there? Is that kind of why you keep the dialogue going throughout?
1: It's one of the reasons. I don't think people want to leave. I think right. it's just their habit. Yeah. And we live in a very mental, intellectual culture. And if the body hasn't been a safe place to live, then um, there ha- we have to skillfully come back into it because just asking someone to concentrate on their body is not enough. And so yeah. there needs to be interpersonal connection and there needs to be some Narration. So I don't think anyone's trying to do it. It's their nervous system and physiology detecting a threat, whether or not it's there and not feeling like the body is a place that has pleasure or the body is a place that's a safe place to be. Yeah. So like you were mentioning yesterday, like to have a critical um, relationship with your body that you're actually outside of your body, judging your body rather Mm -hmm. than living inside of the experience. So, a lot of the work you know and our pelvises are pretty much the central location of that so we're we don't have good sexual education um we don't most women haven't really looked at their own genitals most women are afraid there's something wrong with them that they smell that it doesn't look right that it's not functioning right and so a lot of the work is answering those kinds of questions and um providing education but hands-on education so that somebody knows their own anatomy and they don't have to guess where things are, they just know where things are and in a space that's not very, that's less charged even though there might be a lot of charge that enters into the space um, because of what someone's
0: carrying in Yeah, you have such a nurturing energy about you and presence that you feel, I will speak for myself, I felt so calm about how you know, bizarre this situation could be compared to mm-hmm. what a normal day is like. But I weirdly didn't feel weird at all about, you know, someone I met one time's hands being in my vagina because you are so, you have this nurturing energy about you but that's what I said to you yesterday like I have maybe looked at my vagina in the mirror one time if that and you can look at a diagram and I thought I knew so much about what was happening in my vagina and I had no clue where things even were and how much less how things worked or how they could potentially work better is that a common thing you you see with people and what do you think would help people be more Um, aware of what's happening in their vagina what could shift the sexual education that we have now
1: oh well that's like the question like how to save the planet basically that's the whole big question i mean part of it is having somatic sex education from when we're young so that we learn how to talk to each other about how we want to be touched we learn what feels good to us, not just genitally, not like oh yeah now you've got to like go masturbate every day, but like how do you really befriend your own body, bef- befriend your system, so that you know what actually feels good to you, not what's supposed to feel good, not what other people think feels good, but just actually what is pleasurable for you. Mm. And um, and then yeah, looking <clears throat> looking in a mirror, I think looking at each other, um, that's something that you know people talk about, experimental sexual play and childhood play but really as adults many women who are heterosexual haven't ever seen other vulvas because you can't really see much from the front Mm -hmm. so and no one's really looking between their legs before i did this work i hadn't seen very many vulvas and seen all the variety so being able to see how other people look to see the variety Um, to be able to see other people's arousal and how that works outside of pornography. Because pornography and sex are basically like two separate things. They don't really have much to do with each other. So what is arousal really like? How does female arousal work? Um, And, you know, I teach whole courses on this. It's not something you can just summarize. But in my worldview and the future that I want to build for myself and for my child, for my daughter... Um, I would like all women to have somatic sex ed one-on-one with somebody when they get their period, when they have their first sexual experience, yes. when they're pregnant, postpartum and menopausally so that you have somebody who's caring, who can reflect back to you what's going on. And it's not all about like the internal work. Cause I'm not sure like thinking about my daughter, if when she's 13 or whenever she's going to get her period if internal work, something that she's going to feel is, um, Appropriate for her. But the point is to have somebody look at yourself with you to talk about how pleasure works, to talk about how female anatomy works, to talk about the fact that female arousal takes 45 minutes and that penetration, for me, when I think about like A in the alphabet meeting someone and F being kissing, for me, penetration is like R or S. It's so far down the road. Whereas most of the women that I see, they go from kissing to penetration and then they're wondering why their body is not responding and then they think there's something wrong with them and that they should be better than that or they should be more orgasmic but really they haven't even they haven't even been present in the territory and and explored their own eroticism out of this very masculine way of um, relating which is very penis and vagina penetration focused so to have somebody be able to educate you and to be able to do that in an embodied way, not in a like, here's some diagrams. Let's like sit across from each other and look at diagrams way.
0: Because I'm someone who really needs to, I can look at all the diagrams. I can even see it on myself, but I need help just being guided to feel where things are, especially something internal and knowing that I'm thinking of it correctly as the correct part of my body that was really helpful and then also what you said to me yesterday about it vaginas just being like you know people's noses they look different and they are different sized and different shapes can you talk a little bit more about that and how that surprised you when you started to see so many more than you would have yeah I mean
1: I think in my in my history I have a vagina that's very stereotypical, so it's very like what, you, what you've seen or what you imagine, so I didn't surprise myself. Mm-hmm. So then it was only when I saw vaginas that were much more ornate or where you can see the clitoral presentation from just the front or <clears throat> the coloring is totally different. Some people are more like chocolatey brown and purplish and some people are really like rosy pink. And um, some of the inner labia are like very floral and asymmetrical. Or so I've worked on people who look almost like coral on the inside. And so there's just so many different ways, shapes, forms, dimensions.
0: Is it common for women to come in and just be like, Am I normal? Is this okay? Yeah, Is that... pretty much 100% of yeah. the people. Yeah. There's like two people who've never asked me that. <laughs> are there. for? You're the only person that I know that does internal work and have, and have ever heard of. Are there more practitioners like this? Would, how did you decide that this was something other than, you know, your experience with relfing and yoga? Like, how did you decide that this was something that you wanted to do and felt comfortable doing? I feel like that question is kind of like
1: someone asked me if I'm going to write another book. And I was like, well, another book's writing me. Like, I I didn't ever be like, I want to be a vagina practitioner it just happened it just was like people were coming they need the work they need the information i'm an activist and to me it's the most powerful point of intervention for like how i want the world to shift so it wasn't i have training i'm a sexological body worker There's other sexological body workers in the world. Some of them work more with arousal. Some of them work more with the therapeutic side. Um, I don't do erotic massage, which can be a part of sexological body work and is a totally interesting modality. It just doesn't happen to be what I do. I do more uh, mapping, education, scar tissue remediation, and uh, education, and then I train people, so... Yeah, there's people that are doing it. There's pelvic floor physical therapists, so you can get a doctor's prescription to get pelvic floor physical therapy. But in physical therapy, again, it's a kind of, your problem solving. I also problem solve here, but I'm not... I'm not going out. If someone says to me I've never had an orgasm, my goal is not like I'm going to get this person to have an orgasm no matter what happens. Like this will happen today. Um, I don't look at it like that. I look at it as an opportunity to really widen the lens. Most of us think we know what our problems are, and we really have no idea. We're thinking our problem is one thing, and it's something completely different. So I'm really taking the broad view on how to help somebody untie the knot that's the closest to the surface that's going to get them to the next step of experience or communication i work a lot with people on communication on the things that they haven't been able to say where that communication is coming from everyone you know i think this trip everyone's asked me if they're normal and everyone's everybody thinks they're too loose so everyone thinks they've got like a floppy vagina that's not good enough not tight enough not um not enough basically and then everyone also is like really concerned that if they turn their focus on themselves, that somehow they're taking something away from their partner or,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, that it's that their partner would be losing out if they were to be more articulate about what their pacing is. Cause in general, like I just want to scream from the rooftops to everyone, slow down, like just mm-hmm. slow down because uh, so much of what we're seeing about consent and communication would really, if mm-hmm. the experience could be protracted and we weren't trying to go from yeah. A to X in, an hour um we wouldn't be seeing so much
0: miscommunication and so much um pain yeah oh that's such a that's such a good point i think there's clearly just like you said it, it kind of the book writing you or this coming to you there's clearly the universe is supporting that with your you know you're here in new york you just told me people are coming from virginia and delaware and all over the country you have this long waiting list i've as soon as I heard that someone was doing this, I was like sign me up immediately. Women want this work and it's not readily available. Do you see yourself training? Are you already training other women? Yeah. Are there
1: We're training people and you know it's an extensive training because to yeah. do this work you have to be extremely ethical and ethical isn't just like your moral person it's like you really have to look at your own shame patterns your own shame matrix your own preconceptions Mm -hmm. um everything that's living in your body and how you metabolize those things so it's an extensive training we have we train midwives chiropractors acupuncturists prenatal and postpartum yoga teachers um mid midwives i said that already Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and doulas doulas Yeah, Yeah. So, but I think I was mentioning too, it's actually illegal to do the work because if you um, touch genitals for money, it's considered sex work. Mm -hmm. So unless you're a doctor or a physical therapist or an acupuncturist and a chiropractor in some states, then it's illegal. So what I do is called sexological body work. It's legal in the state of California, um, but it's never been challenged So basically, in other countries, we've taught the work in England, we've taught the work in Australia, because sex work is legal in those countries, it's a less puritanical, moralistic Mm -hmm. place, and so I'm considered a sex worker. Um, And so we formed a private membership agreement, which is what you do, like, if you want to eat raw dairy, raw dairy is illegal to eat, but you can join a private membership Mm -hmm. agreement, and then you are able to do that, um, to have the access to the food that you want to eat. And so we're forming a private membership agreement so that if somebody wants to come and get the work or someone wants to do the work, they join the membership. And that is um, saying, I take charge of my own health. I am sovereign in my body. I decide who wants to touch me and I want to enter into this.
2: Um,
1: But I've been doing it for years anyways because it's so needed and um, I'm willing to take the risk because I just feel like the
0: gains are much greater. Is it okay to talk about it publicly? Like, you can't get in trouble that way? Um, I'm talking about it. <laughs> Knock <and> on <wood>. it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll go I mean, I- hopefully,
1: I think what's likely to happen if something happens is that physical therapists, people whose scope of practice it is, they'll start getting their fe- feathers ruffled, and they're oh, the ones yeah. that are likely to... Um, yeah. But I just feel like it's... I, you can only work underground for so long, right? And there's such a huge need for it. And what what are the alternatives? Like waiting until the FDA approves it, or yeah. waiting. I mean, there's pieces of equipment that are have clinical studies for years and years that will help li- women have less tearing during childbirth, and they're not. The FDA won't approve them, and the German companies don't even want to go through the FDA because the process is so prohibitive in terms of. Um, the US having such a bad reputation for liability in, oh in lawsuits. So
0: so much. Ridiculous. I mean, this is
1: women helping women. Like yeah. I don't know if like it's women caring for other women while mm-hmm. women care. And this is I mean there's nothing older than that. Like birth went awry when it got taken away from midwives. and mm-hmm. so I feel like, yeah, I feel fine talking about it. and my experience is that the more that I talk about it, the more it resonates with women the more they're like I've had women come to me saying I've needed this for 10 years and something inside me knew that somehow like this like I didn't know what it would look like I didn't know the form of the person it would come in but I knew that some at some point this would be available and I'm just like so they're so ecstatic that they found me because they're finally able to heal from something that they haven't been able
0: to get help anywhere for wow wow oh my gosh Okay, so I want to go back to when you were talking about slowing down and the cultural moment that we're in. I think I mentioned to you yesterday that I told everyone in the secret Facebook group for the podcast that you were coming on and got so many questions and a lot around this specifically. We talk about feminism on the show, and in terms of feminism and sexuality, what are your thoughts on... The intersection of those two, and specifically, you know, this moment we're in. In the group, someone asked, I'll read you this, and you can kind of take this wherever you want it to go. But Taylor said, Can you ask her to talk about the Me Too movement, specifically Aziz Ansari? And I'd love to hear an in depth conversation with a sex expert. So, kind of, maybe just kind of share your thoughts on. You started to talk about a bit with slowing down would be a big, helpful thing, but just kind of where we are and what do you think this movement that we're in means for your work and sexual education in general? Well, so, you know, we're in the fourth wave
1: of feminism, right? now and this wave of feminism is about including our bodies and including our cycles so Mm -hmm. the last wave of feminism was about breaking the glass ceiling and achieving everything that men can do and doing it better at the sacrifice of our health so you see now that lots of women have Mm -hmm. autoimmune disorders and lots of women are really falling apart having Mm -hmm. children later Their their systems aren't really withstanding it well And so this wave of feminism is really like, we don't have to be like men, we can be women. And to be women means to pay attention to our blood rights, means to rest when we bleed, means to not override and just be in productive mode all the time, means to be able to ride the cycles. So that's where I think we're at with feminism and sexuality. I do, one thing I really want to emphasize and I'm talking about a lot with most of my clients, especially the ones who are like under 35, is that there's, we really have a wrong idea about what empowered sexuality looks like. Empowered sexuality doesn't mean that you can just have disconnected sex with lots of people. That's a masculine version of sexuality, an unhealthy masculine version of sexuality, that you can just be indifferent about who you sleep with and sleep with people, not be attached, not have relationships and move on. Um, some people might be able to do that, but it takes a really high level of maturity in a way. And it all, you really have to know how your own nervous system works. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to be connected to the person that you're sleeping with. Does that person have to be the person that you're going to marry? No. But um, there's lots of ways to connect emotion and to connect our hearts and our genitals. And a lot of women, what I see is they're trying to disconnect those two. And so, people like yesterday, someone was saying, Well, if we were all just more connected with our pussy, then like we'd be like riding on top of the world and, you know, the world would be this different place. And she's, I think she was kind of saying that if everyone was really in touch with pussy power, that they, the, that everyone would be like um, operating at their optimum level. And I don't really think that's true. I think that if all of us were really more connected with our pussies, our genitals, and our womb space, there's a lot of pain there too. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, it's not all pleasure. And, and what people associate is like, okay, we're dealing with like the very superficial level of, of discomfort and pain. But what's under that is something completely different. Now, if we've already learned to expand our ability to stay present and be in a very wide range of emotion and feeling states, that's one thing. But if we don't really know how to do that and we're just going to go straight to the genitals there's all kinds of stuff that's gonna get shaken up that we might not have the capacity to really hold or deal with. Um, so I, I was just talking to a 16 year old who basically was so, so confused, confused about if she had lost her virginity, confused if she had wanted to, confused about communication, and it's just, we're so out of sync in terms of our ability to communicate, our ability to communicate through touch, and really what we're all doing here. What are we like? What are we doing? I'm kind of wondering. Like, what? Yeah. What's the goal? Because most people come to me. I think they're a lot of their goal is just to understand themselves better. But also, it seems like this expectation of being a multi-orgasmic paleo goddess, um, and the path to that is something. Just like true mindfulness, it's not—it's not like rainbows, unicorns, and sparkle dust. Like being multi-orgasmic doesn't mean you're happy all the time. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean—it just means you have a, an access to a really wide range of emotions and sensations.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that's something that the media contributes to a lot? And do you see media shifting based on the moment we're in to? portray hopefully better communication and more clear consent and slowing down in the way that they portray sex Mm -hmm. i really have no idea
1: because i don't connect to media so i don't Mm -hmm. have a television i don't really watch shows so i'm not really sure um i don't i mean i don't know Mm -hmm. if slow sex really sells i Mm -hmm. i don't really know i've I personally have watched slow sex on porn. Well, it's kind of porn. It was part of my education for my school, which was actually watching regular porn, but then also watching slow sex. And it's, it's a very different experience to watch people who really love each other making love than it is to watch people in porn. So <clears throat> that would be great if that could be included in uh, mainstream. But we're kind of addicted to the power dynamic model. We're addicted to the, like, you know... Fifty Shades of Grey, throw her against the wall, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's a whole other conversation. Like that's speaking to another part of our culture that's really lacking, where women are hyper masculinized, and so they want to be hyper feminized in this like total surrender, throw me against the wall, ravage me, because there's it's such a compensation for women feeling like we've got so much responsibility and we're in control all the time and we're having to make all these choices, and so women are really wanting that other thing in the bedroom. Um, as far as the Me Too movement, I don't know, did you watch the video I made? it like got like 18,000 no, Yeah, but I'll um, link to it. Views.
0: I'm excited to watch it.
1: But, I mean, my perspective is very nervous system oriented, which is that we, in order to really have a healthy nervous system, which is also what allows us to have full spectrum access to our arousal potential, we have to be able to be in all of the places between the predator and the prey. Mm-hmm. And for most women, they're hyper-identified with the prey. And for most men, they're hyper-identified, or the expectation, at least, is that they're identified with the predator. And no one wants to hear those words because predator is like a, a, not, a, not a good word but it's because we live in a culture that's very victim oriented. We live in a culture that always wants to side with the victim that wants to demonize anyone who's a perpetrator. And, and we live in a highly moralistic culture where it's like, well, this is good and that is bad. Mm-hmm. This is right. And that is wrong. Yeah. Now there's a huge spectrum here and it's very like, this should be its own whole podcast because yeah. we get into trouble trying to reduce it and simplify it because of course, somebody who is raped running in a park midday is going to have a really different experience than someone who um was on a date with someone that they know that they had slept with a few times and then had one night where the boundaries got more hazy and felt like they weren't okay with it it's from a and and also with childhood sexual abuse and trauma there or street harassment like how we deal with those even from a therapeutic standpoint is going to be very different but what's happening now in the me too movement is that it's all just getting piled into the same thing and so people are talking about how they don't like the guy saying hi beautiful walking by selling flowers at the same time as they're talking about being gang raped
0: right
1: and um there are certainly parts of people's healing journeys where using the words victim And survivor are important because so much of our conditioning is to normalize. Well, I guess that was fine. And so many people, what's happening for them right now is they're having all these recollections about ways, places, times in their life when things happened that actually weren't fine, that they just brushed off Mm -hmm. because they didn't know at the time or the discussion wasn't happening or they just normalized it so that they can go on Um, you know, that's another branch of the nervous system is tend and befriend, is pull the threat closer. And so women get very confused. Well, why was I still friends with that person? Or why did I still talk to them? Or why did I go back to that situation? Because that's a protective part of our nervous system as well that happens to be estrogen linked. And so it's a more common strategy for women to pull, you know, if you can imagine, you're in your tribal village and you're outside doing stuff and then a tiger comes in. you're going to pull all your kids and your friends yeah. close to you because you're going to be safe mm. in numbers so um, there's so many different ways that this impacts how we relate and, and interact in the world and I tend to operate from a place that is, can be unpopular and languaging it is really important. Uh, I would never blame someone for something happening to them and I do recognize that there we don't live in a utopia we live there's never going to be a time when there's no predators we live in the natural world there will always be predators but who is a predator and how that is constructed within our lives and with our our system is actually pretty relative so, maybe 5% of this is like totally I just make the statistic up but it's like I think 5% of people are actually like mentally unstable damaged and maybe permanently and you know like people who are quote unquote bad or malicious or whatever Mm -hmm. but the rest of what's happening is just a whole lot of confusion Mm -hmm. and people will say well you can't just brush it off because it's confusion I'm not brushing it off we need to address it but we need to address it from both sides. It, the blame is not, blaming everyone is not going to get anyone anywhere. And as you know and I know, there are a lot of really great men out there. And those men are confused. And again, people don't like to hear that. But it's true. If if you're reading about an interaction where a woman freezes and then doesn't say anything and you're continuing to have an interaction, um, I know the physiology of freeze. I've lived in the physiology of freeze. I understand that. and. We we have to construct situations where we have a voice. And is that, can that happen all the time? Maybe not, but we can take drug and alcohol use out mm-hmm. of sexual behavior. That's a first step. I mean, I don't think we'd be having half the conversations mm-hmm. we'd be having if drugs and alcohol weren't a part of it. And when power is involved, we also have to look at ourselves. We can't just say, "Oh, well, I'm an actress and I really wanted that part, and so I was willing to do that because I wanted that part." Um, you know, I've been—I had a college professor come on to me, and basically, my um, grad school recommendations were on the line. He waited till the day after I graduated, and then basically said, "If I wouldn't be with him, that he wouldn't recommend me to the places oh that I wanted to go." Like, there's all kinds of ways that people can be manipulated and manipulative. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to also know our value and our worth, and we also have to stand for that. And we, can't, um, we can do that by strengthening our nervous system, by having experiences like what I offer in my work. What There's all, all kinds of ways to get that help through somatic experiencing. Um, Talk therapy is only going to get you so far when you find men inherently dangerous or every time you get into a sexual situation, your vagina closes or you can only have painful sex. There's lots of reasons why people have painful sex, but a majority of them are either trauma, so pain it was painful the first time, then they thought it was always going to be painful, or another kind of trauma where their system perceived danger and that their vagina clenched and the muscles kind of froze shut and they were never able to reestablish safety so that the most intimate and vulnerable part of their body could let go. Mm. So I'm interested in somatic sex education for adolescents and young adults so that we can learn this as we're going. We can get out of this model that men always want sex and women don't want it and so men have to convince us or prod us or poke us to get what they want and that there's some kind of thing to win. and but I have to say that that paradigm, and maybe like I said, because I'm not really connected to media, and um, but I don't. That's not operant in my life. I don't meet people that are treating other people that way. I meet mostly people who are trying to do the right thing, mm-hmm. trying to understand, and really confused about how to do that, mm-hmm. and how to do that in a way where there's still polarity and still sexual chemistry and still um, passion. Yeah,
0: yeah. Wow. Okay. So much. You are so articulate talking about that topic. I learned so much. I want to go back to you a little bit. I went out of order a bit to ask those questions and I'm glad I did. But with your personal relationship to your body and sex, you, like you said, have this yoga and Ralph and and dance background and you seem to me as someone who's naturally connected and in tune with your physical body through you know, the work that you do and in, in your background. Um, but have you always been this way? Have you always felt connected to your body or has it been an unfolding for you as well? Well, there's always layers. There's always more deepening
1: and more connection and more body wisdom for sure. Um, I think I decided really early on, my mom had a lot of plastic surgery, and I decided really early on that I just wanted to accept myself how I was, Mm -hmm. and that I wanted to break the pattern of stomach hate and, um, evaluating myself constantly through how I look, and I wanted to enjoy more how I felt and what my body could do, and that was a real decision I made when I was about 13, when my mom started getting plastic surgery, um... But I would say, yeah, I've always had a body practice. As I moved through dance to yoga, that was a deepening because dance was really about how my body looked and the shapes I made and um, perfecting lines. And I I danced modern as well, but there was more of a a look an an outside view of my body then with yoga it was more of an experience. Like holy moly, there's like a lot going on in here. Mm-hmm. And then with somatic experiencing it was even more that way. Like rather than mapping, charting and moving my body, it was really just listening and waiting for the unconscious to reveal itself through my body.
0: Yeah. So as I mentioned to you yesterday, I'm kind of the opposite and we had a lot of questions in, in this vein too, of feeling really disconnected from my body i i've noticed that i and my sexuality but just my body in general like i ignore even i'm obviously aware of this and trying to get better but ignore different sensations from you know hunger fullness to to tune out or i Ignore you know when I have to go to the bathroom if I'm like trying to work and need to get things done And of course that's okay sometimes but it emotionally I, I do it a lot as well with You know having these emotions and then stuffing them down somewhere and those get stuck in our bodies. So How do you help women or? when you talk about this sort of thing of You know where you are with your body and what you teach about sensitivity and sexuality to be more connected and present and embodied what was your greatest lesson on on that i mean everyone who comes to me is in a body
1: what we tell ourselves about our body is something else but we all i mean anyone who's comes to me has much more health than illness because they were able to come in Yeah. so it's really just a constant redirection of listening and a commitment to that and a real belief that there's something more powerful than our mind that lives inside of our body and a commitment to living. I mean, that's really the wild nature, but that's going against everything that our culture believes
0: in and trains us into. You've mentioned painful sex a lot of times and that that's a common thing that I hadn't heard spoken about at all until really recently and felt very much alone in that. So I would love if you could talk about that a bit to normalize it and, and how people can feel things in sex and feel, not have painful sex, feel better in sex, and you know, specifically talking about desensitivity and how women might be able to feel more, have orgasms, and you know, have, have that awareness come back to that area. Hmm.
1: Yeah, the first step is to befriend that part of the body. So there's lots of gentle ways to do that just placing your whole hand over your whole vulva and just feeling that contact and breathing there and connecting. There's so many expectations that are put on the vagina and the vulva in terms of everything, how it looks, how it smells, what it's mm-hmm. supposed to do, how many orgasms it's supposed to have. And I think one of the most profound parts of a lot of the sessions that I give is just when I make that contact with someone and they realize like there's just someone there, there's not an expectation, it's just plain witnessing and you can do that for yourself. So um, as far as the pain is going, to me it's always, there's lots of different reasons why there can be pain, but in general, like I said, it's because the body's not ready for what's happening i just cringe when i hear people that have like their dilators and they're like forcing their vagina open because it's a sphincter so those muscles can release in an instant that's why a lot of people say oh i can only have good sex if i smoke weed or i drink because that it's a muscle relaxer so it's like relaxing them and they're letting go of inhibitions which then allows them to be more available and softer but um, they're missing something in terms of a soul journey, in terms of what they could be learning about themselves and their own growth path of, of what's actually there, what's what's creating that tension, those obstacles, that barrier. And like I said, a lot of times it's a, an earlier experience and a feeling that there's that the body's not safe. And so, of course, we're going to protect the most intimate part of ourselves. So I recommend slowing things down. I recommend... Um, getting educated reading a book like women's anatomy of arousal just learning like female arousal takes 35 to 45 minutes how many women have had penetration after that how many women have had an orgasm and then tried penetration most people think of orgasm as the end of sex what if that's the beginning of sex what if that's where it starts and to do that we have to uncondition ourselves decondition ourselves because we have to not believe that it's our job to get our partner off we have to believe that our pleasure is just as important and that our pleasure could actually be feeding the other person's pleasure we have to undo whatever self-consciousness we have about what we think is wrong with us or you know there's a lot of exposure and vulnerability
0: that that goes hand in hand with it yeah yeah you you said once and i wrote this down in my notes because i liked it so much in another podcast you say Orgasm is like a flower boom, blooming or a pot boiling, and if you're staring at it and trying to make it happen, it won't happen. And I loved that, and I think that's kind of like what you were saying when the mind wants it but the body doesn't. I think, you know, I'll speak for myself, that's something where I just want my mind and body to match up, and I just want an easy fix. And I think I said to you yesterday, I was just like, how do I just fix this and change it and I want a formula and I want a homework and this is an internal slow journey maybe there's a better word but anyway process yeah it's something that that takes time and you have to focus on
1: yeah or you don't focus on it like because what happens is people are really focused on it right they're just like Mm -hmm. i don't have an orgasm i don't have orgasms i'm not sure if i've ever had an orgasm like i have people who say oh well i have this partner and he never finishes and i think well that's fantastic because then you can just have like as much sex as you want that's incredible and they're like no because the whole time it's just like about that thing and so what what it is is like okay harder and faster friction well that doesn't produce orgasm in general like orgasm requires relaxation it requires a pair sympathetic nervous system response Mm -hmm. so doing more and trying harder and Mm -hmm. focusing on it and hardening and narrowing your focus is just narrowing the experience it's actually relax relaxing letting go trying a different pathway pausing I mean pausing man if everyone could just learn to pause because people think oh if I stop then it's just going to ruin everything and then he might lose his erection and then what if I'm not turned on and Is like all this future stuff of like, but if your system just wants to pause and you need to catch up in the moment with all parts of yourself, pause, take a few breaths, back away from each other, cup each other's genitals, look each other in the eye, spoon for a little bit, and then see what happens. And maybe that arousal will dissipate or maybe there'll be another wave. But the multiple orgasms is really about entering into a state where you're in constant orgasm because... You're in you're in like the valley where your your system is just harmonized to that mm. frequency.
0: Wow, it's funny. I just remembered. I want to tell you this. So, yesterday, I think the thing that I took away most was when you said you you were saying that you were like you should stop and take a breath if you're feeling overwhelmed, or you just you know say that to your partner. And I and I looked at you and I was like, well, how do I say that? How do I say that in the moment? You were just like just look at him and say can we stop can we take a breath and I did that yesterday and it was so helpful and it was so easy and I think that that right there of just me not knowing how to articulate something and it not be awkward or weird or uh, I don't know just not being in my head about it and saying to another person and someone who I feel safe with and is educated to just be like no say it like this and then trying it that way I think If everyone listening takes that away of just, like, pausing with their partner and saying, let's take a breath for a minute, like, Mm -hmm. I think that right there could potentially make a shift.
1: Yeah, and lots of times, you do it lots of times throughout a period of time together. There's, you know, if you're with somebody for a couple of hours... You're going to probably want to pause a couple of times and once you ask for the pause you'll notice your partner will start asking for that too because you're modeling something that both people are experiencing but there's just so many assumptions being made and so many you know today I was talking with this woman and she has painful sex and so she's dating somebody but she feels like she can't go home with him and I was just listening to the whole thing and I'm like okay well first of all Does going home with him immediately mean sex? Because are you sure that's what he's expecting? Like, you're just assuming that that's what happens because you think that's what other people do. Mm -hmm. But what if you just said, I'd like to come home with you, but penetration's off the table for me. Mm -hmm. She was like, well, I'm like, why didn't you just say, I'm really interested in you, I'm really interested in exploring sexuality and intimacy with you. And for me, I like to take things really slow. Or in the past, I've experienced some pain, and I know that's something I might need to work with, and I'm wondering if you're open to that. Mm. Then you don't have to wonder or have the bad experience and then try to repair that and then tell yourself the story that you were rejected because of that but really it's because you freaked out because you were you didn't take care of yourself earlier to prepare the person. I mean everyone's got something that they think they're unlovable for. Everyone's got genital herpes or you know a trauma in the past or erectile dysfunction or they're a 45-year-old virgin. I mean I've I've heard it all. So there's not a person on earth that thinks there's some reason why they're, they're the one that shouldn't be loved or that they don't deserve it or that they have something that they're hiding that's the thing that's going to make that person not want them, so they're just going to not say it for longer.
2: Yeah.
1: And I'm just like, if you want to create a vulnerable, connected, trustworthy relationship, because people always tell me, oh, well, you're so lucky that you have these relationships where you can say these things. And I'm like, no, I say these things, so, and then I create that relationship. Yeah, It's not like I just meet people who already know how to do this. And it's not like I feel like I know how to do it all the time too. But in the moment, I would just rather say, this is what's going on. How is that for you?
0: Yeah, you said, again, in another podcast that I that I wrote down that I, I took away, was you were saying, I can't even find it in my notes, but I know it's in here somewhere, where you said something like, the most skilled lovers that you've been with communicate more. And I think there's a misconception where people think that in sex there isn't communication, there isn't direct communication, and that directness actually makes the experience better. Can you talk about that or some more advice or lessons or good lines to say (laughs) during sex, like taking a breath?
1: Well, one phrase I think is really helpful is just, I'm complete. So at whatever phase you're at, if kissing, you just feel complete with that. Just like, I've had a really great time, and I feel complete. And there doesn't have to be an excuse. You don't have to, like, scream no and, like, throw your arms yeah. up. It's just, like, that feels like enough for me right now. Yeah. And I look forward to seeing you again, if that's true. Or um, I, I'd like to connect tomorrow.
0: I'm good. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> but not there's this expectation and, and belief, I think, that once you start something... You can't stop, and the wheels are already turning, and the momentum's going, and so you have to just follow that through. And there's so many people that would have like half the amount of sexual partners that they've had, which it doesn't matter how many you have, but it's like why why do that to yourself? Why expose yourself to STDs? You don't need to expose yourself to. Why why create this system of this situation of high activation if really you're just wanting another thing? So um, yeah, I'm complete. I think is a really good one. Um, I'm always trying to it, of course it helps to know anatomy of course it helps to but so many people are caught up on experience and thinking that experiences and variety are the things that are going to make them a good lover or the things that are going to make them desirable when really it's presence mm-hmm. and curiosity that make great lovership I've been with people who are extraordinarily skilled lovers but they're not heart connected so it's lacking something. It's a physical experience and there's pleasure and it might take me into a new place, but it doesn't. it's not feeding my soul because what I'm really longing for is that together with the heart connection at the same time. Um, and then there's people that are really innocent and one of my turning points in relationship was a partner that I had that had um, difficulty maintaining and getting erections sometimes and maintaining them and we had an amazing lovership because for the first time a hard dick wasn't the center of attention wasn't the only thing that mattered and so there was just so much exploration and curiosity when that wasn't the go to automatic thing and so I really recommend women or you know all people because I found that once I state these things the people that I'm with are always right on board with it it's just that they also have never heard of it but like the last boyfriend that I had on the third date he was ready to, he said like I want to take you to bed and we hadn't even seen each other naked yet and I was like I just was like really that sounds like kind of a lot like considering we've never even seen each other naked but he was so shocked at my response because he'd been dating so much that it was like that was the usual and then after that I was like well you know we're adults so like we're supposed to have you know like the talk and he he like just looked at me with a blank stare. And later he told me that in all of the dating that he'd done and the women that he'd been with, he'd never once had an STD talk. He'd never once had a talk beforehand about like what expectations were. And so he was just so taken aback. And then the next thing was like, well, what's kind of like, well, what's your criteria then? And I was like, well, I sleep with people that I'm in love with. And then it was like jaw on the floor because he couldn't believe that someone who works with sexuality and like, can talk and communicate openly about it wasn't just like universally available also that i was like no this is my criteria and so that's what that's where my line is and then after that we both became less interested in penetration and we ended up waiting like five or six months because we were having amazing sex together that didn't include it and both of us i think kind of realized like whoa we have like so much chemistry and so much connection and we have our whole life to explore this. If that's how this is going to go, why are we going to rush it? Because we're both like, we, I think we were both worried we were going to like implode. So um, it was, it was so smart because by the time we got there, I had no insecurity about what the relationship was about or if that was why he was with me or not, or all the, you know, things that we think about. It was like, I knew that was something that both of us, the day that, I felt my body just let go and like, okay, I think I'm ready for that. He felt it at the exact same moment. And then um, we were both considering like, well, is this what we want to do right now? And he said, I don't want to right now. I want to wait until we have more time because we don't mm-hmm. have a lot of time right now. And so he ended up being the one that was like holding that line. Yeah. But I had to establish what I was really about. And he had never had a relationship that he'd had a lot of sex, but it had been mostly physical sex. So he hadn't had a lot of sexual connection that was as round as what we were having with emotional attunement and connection and um, and a different kind of a pacing. So once he felt what that was like, he wanted that more too because it's just more satisfying. Yeah.
0: I think because people don't talk about sex all the time with their uh, people in their lives that they're even close with and even with a therapist or someone safe – people just assume that sex looks one specific way that we see in the media or porn or wherever modeled for us and just to hear other perspectives of it just hearing that was helpful for me and and i don't know i just i, I think it's so important to to talk more about sex do you feel that way definitely and yeah. i
1: think it's better I mean, optimal to... Because people talk about sex, but what they talk about is how many times they're having it or how many Mm. orgasms they're having and all the quantitative stuff. But they don't talk about what are they learning from sex? What are they interested in? um, What does it mean to them? Where do you go during sex? What does it give to you that you can't get in other places in your life? What are you working with? Um, You know, our sexual selves evolve. It's not just like we're just this one thing through our whole lifespan, especially as women. It really parallels all our soul journeys so i think sexual conversations that have more depth and then also having the courage to to ask for what we want and our bodies really do know i mean if we were listening they do know and people might say no they don't i can't hear it but you can if you redirect it if I say to you what would feel good to you right now where should I touch you and you really tuned in you would say okay I think like scratching my scalp would feel really good right now and then if I did that for a minute or two then you'd be like oh, wait, okay, now I want you to, like, lick my back. And then if I did that a little bit, then you'd be like, okay, now I want you to squeeze my butt. And you'd be like, okay. And there would be a touch trail. There would be an internal trail that your body is yearning for that you could follow rather than this imposition of, you know, our idea of sex is really tally-taking. I do you. Mm -hmm. I blow you. You go down on me. I come, you come. And that's what people think is, like, success. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, we've done our jobs. We're good at this. Yeah. It's not, like... Maybe today you're just going to receive.
0: Yeah.
1: And you're going to maybe want to give, and it's going to be really hard for you to just receive. And you're going to want to do it again, and then you're not going to do it. And then that's it, and that's the interaction. And then the next day, maybe you're going to receive again because you really need to work on receiving in your life. Um, Or maybe you need to learn how to touch for your own pleasure. And so you're going to practice stating how you want to touch the other person, not what you think they want, but what you actually want. And you're going to practice that. So it really is a practice like musical instruments. You know, you bring your instruments and if you're going to improvise, which sexuality is, you don't know what that's going to be like. And sometimes the improvisation sucks and sometimes it's the best thing you've ever heard, but it's a practice and you show up and, um, and you don't try to play the same song in the same way every single time and get disappointed when it's not that you
0: can't recreate
1: virtuosity every single time
0: yeah that game that you started our talk that we met at which was essentially that where you had us get with a partner and at the event and that we didn't know and I think you had for two minutes you set a timer and we had to touch the other you give, or like the person with the longer hair or the mm-hmm. taller person okay. one is the giver one is the receiver and you touch the other person how you want to touch them am I explaining this mm-hmm. correctly and then from there the next round we did it and then we asked if it was okay and then we said thank you and then the next round you said you know whoever's taller shorter whatever it was so I remember I was, receiving twice and i felt so uncomfortable by that you know Mm -hmm. i felt like i was doing something wrong or like i i just i always like to be i want to overgive and and i hate that feeling of you know even when someone gives me a present and i don't have anything for them or it's just it's just yeah it, it was a really good exercise for me and i think to do that with a partner would be it's based
1: on the wheel of consent by betty martin so Mm -hmm. there's lots of videos out on that and um it's called the it's called the three minute game we did it for two minutes because we had a shorter time frame yeah but yeah these are somatic practices so like i would like to see that happening in middle school Mm -hmm. learning how to ask for touch and it's not we're not even talking you know everyone goes genitals we're not talking about that we're talking about do you know how someone can touch your arm that feels good to you that's pleasurable That you like that makes you lean into it and melt a little bit and practicing that and then if someone's touching you in a way that you don't like that you can say could you try this or could you try that and then if you still don't like it then you just say i'm complete yeah and um can you just sit with me and sometimes the touch game people don't want to be touched they want to just have someone sit side by side to them or Mm -hmm. back to back or you know or have a a hold of hands close to them but at least we're practicing being in contact. And another thing about that game is really, you know, people freak out because it, it's like, am I allowed to touch someone and enjoy it that much? And I don't even know this person, but we're all totally touch-starved. We have, we live yeah. in a culture where we, we don't get touched enough. So then... Everything gets piled together. Like what, what we call sex is actually attach a need for attachment, a starvation for touch, all these things. You know, you, you don't go out on a date for a while and then you go on a date with someone. You're pleasure deprived because you haven't, you haven't been devoting yourself to your own pleasure. You may be really lonely because mostly what you do is work and work out. Uh, and then here you have masculine energy maybe you're starved for masculine and healthy masculine energy and so it all just comes all at once yeah. and no wonder it doesn't work out because all of a sudden you're coming with all of that and it's not really about what's true in that moment yeah. in that interaction so we really have to be smart and piece out those other yeah. things
0: yeah it's like what estra perel says about a relationship being you know not just this partnership, you're asking for friendship, and you're asking for business partnership, and you're asking for all these other things that you're putting on this one relationship to be everything, if we spread out where we're getting touch and connection, not just in sex, it would it's kind of a similar thing. Yeah. Okay, we have so many more questions from people, and I want to get through as many as we can, so I'll kind of ask these more in a, a quick fire away, and you can just kind of say, you know, what, what you think, what your thoughts are on these next few things. So we, I've tried to break them up a little bit. We talked a bit about relationships. um, So I I think we got through most of these. Um, Let me just look at this. Uh, I wanted to just touch on birth a little bit, if that's Okay. Um so your book which is amazing is called The Fourth Trimester and it discusses postpartum time and the transition for women to becoming a mother. Can you talk about that and what you suggest for women going through that that period in their lives of becoming a mother?
1: Yeah, so the first part of the book is written for pregnant women because most of the time pregnant women know to write birth plans and to decide what they want in terms of where they're birthing and what kind of support they wanna have for for giving birth. But a lot of times women don't think about a plan for after they give birth. And giving birth only takes one day or mm-hmm. two days or sometimes three days, but usually not that long. But the postpartum time lasts at least six weeks, and the fourth trimester is three months. And then some people say it takes up to nine months um, for full physical recovery. But that's also very dependent on each person and each body. My postpartum period was about six and a half years. Um, The book is really just centering a woman's experience so we've been conditioned to believe that you know a woman has a baby and then if the baby's healthy then it's all good that's the Mm -hmm. success the mom and the baby are alive that's all that matters and really as a woman we're going through a very profound rite of passage and maturation process that is not comfortable and it looks like a descent for a lot of people and when we don't have cultural practices in place to support women at that time then what we see happening is they're getting depressed and isolated and lonely and having longer-term health problems because they didn't get what they needed in the immediate postpartum time. So it is a guide for women who support other women so that instead of giving your friends a stuffed animal flowers and a baby onesie, that you can give them my book or you can contribute to a meal train or a friend train and you can go visit and actually be with them and help them um Care for themselves, not care for their baby,
2: yeah.
1: and um, it's a really a call to action to for our culture to take care of women at this time because every single woman everywhere who has a baby has the same physiological needs, which are an extended rest period from thirty to forty five days, uh, collagen rich, mineral dense food, which varies from culture culture to culture, but all women need that for their ligaments and bones and tissues to repair um loving touch so there's specific bodywork traditions in every culture that are about helping a woman detoxify from all of the hormonal shifts and um, get her organs back in the right place and the presence of wise women and contact with nature mm-hmm. so um, if we're if we start to structure our, communities and our culture and our corporate environment so that women actually have the conditions where that can happen, we're going to see that women will be healthier and more radiant in the postpartum time rather than more depleted and um, having a more difficult time.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm so happy that your book exists. <clears throat> like you said, I my go-to gift for all of my friends who have had babies used to be a massage for the mom but now and I have someone in my life who is pregnant and I just ordered them your book with the massage so that's now my (laughs) go-to if anyone wants I feel like that should be that's a that's a good one a massage or something for them because they get so much baby stuff and they probably have everything that they need once the baby comes but nobody really thinks about giving them something so Mm -hmm. highly recommend this book and your work and Okay, before we wrap, I have some quick fire questions to just kind of say the first thing that that comes to your mind. on, this is kind of the opposite of everything we talked about slowing <laughs> like down. To wrap up this way, but okay, hold on, let me do, yeah. take some let's upregulating breaths. Yeah, let's take a
2: breath. Breaths. Yeah, do some jacks yeah let's take a breath. This. this
0: is like this. Con- this does not contradict everything we were saying about slowing down. <laughs> but I just want to answer your questions, okay, people. So, all right. We have so many questions, but let's let's start here. <laughs> what is one thing that you wish more people knew about vaginas, if you had to say one thing?
2: That they are alchemical shapeshifters.
0: What is one thing that you'd whisper into the ears of all women about orgasms? I can give you a more specific question, too, because this is something that... Someone asked in the group, they said, how to have them during intercourse, how to feel confident enough to let my guard down. And I think it's a kind of a question of letting go, what she's saying.
1: For me, it's all context. Like if somebody's if somebody's already yeah. knows their guard is up, then I'm wondering why is your guard up mm. and what do you need so that your guard can come down? And if the answer is, my partner is the best thing on earth and she mentioned that there's nothing possible that the other person can do it's like looking to themselves about what's interesting and like because I feel like people are looking for tips and tricks like what position like okay we'll just try the reverse cowboy and then lean back a little bit because then you're gonna have the g-spot contact but it's really like just be in the moment of what feels good at that moment and follow that trail from moment to moment and the orgasms will happen they come on their own yeah. when you're actually engaged and involved in what's just presenting itself moment by moment. And sometimes that's discomfort, and it's stopping, and it's saying, "You know what? I think I'm really mad at you about what you said to me yesterday. And I maybe you didn't mean it, but it really hurt my feelings." Mm-hmm. And then being able to, I call it street cleaning. Like sometimes you got a street cleaning, street clean. Some there's something in, that's in the middle of the street. Yeah. You're not going to keep be able to keep walking because it's preoccupying yes. the true connection.
0: Mm. yeah okay that might have been my favorite thing
1: or also just state exactly what's going on so rather than make a story up about it what if in that moment that you're feeling like you can't let go you're able to say that in that moment right now I feel like I'm at that edge where I want to let go and it's not happening
0: Yeah.
1: and then what happens after you say that so good
0: yeah Wow, okay. what
1: happens if you just name what it is that you think is a problem because it's it's we're all having thoughts and we're all you know so what 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 prohibits a person from bringing that into present moment experience especially because probably the other person is also perceiving it
0: mm-hmm.
1: so naming it and then it's odds I think also women are always thinking everything's their problem it's like What happens for you to say that and say, what can we do together? Do you have any ideas of how we might shift this? What would feel good to you right now? And if the person's answer is whatever will feel good to you, then then you need to ask them further because that's not a sufficient answer. What will feel good to you? Well, what will feel good to you? Well, what will feel good to you? That's, That's not... That's not ownership yes it's it's great we should it's not every person for themselves go for yours but at some point we have to reclaim our own desire and pleasure so that we can interface so that yes. there's some place to go helping each other figure it out yeah yeah okay. What sounds good to you What do you want on the buffet what it, what is your fantasy um, you know and a lot of it has to do also with women really getting out of the judgment place of their partners, you know, like people do, people have fantasies and, you know, 50% of women have rape fantasies. Mm -hmm. One out of every two. That's a lot. And most of those people are thinking they're fucked up because they're having them, but obviously they're not because that many people are having them. So it's not really about the content of our fantasies. It's more about other things that are happening in the midst of those fantasies and how those offer some kind of repair in other aspects of our, Psyche. So are you courageous enough to ask your partner what their fantasies are? Do you feel the pressure then that you have to act them out if they tell you? Like, how, how willing are you to also share yourself in something a little bit deeper than this hurts? Mm-hmm. Because eroticism is a lot more than physical connection.
0: So good. Okay. We got a couple questions about menopause and sex, and um, I know this is a huge topic, but what are, you know, maybe some, a few things that you could share around that stage of life? Uh, Well,
1: in general, in menopause, Women are really at a stage where they're caring a lot less about pleasing everyone else and they're caring a lot more about what works for them. So that's why you see a lot of women get divorced during menopause because they're just like, fuck this whole keep the family together thing. Like, I'm out. I'm going to go move to Sedona and (laughs) do my own thing. Um, So sexually, it can be an extremely empowered time where women are just really claiming themselves and their right to their own pleasure and their body. And usually they have some experience with what they like and what feels good. Um, So it can be a really powerful and empowering time sometimes people have some physical stuff go on like less lubrication just because there tends to be more dryness during menopause or the vaginal tissues can thin a little bit but in general like postpartum we have these cultural scripts like oh well we're old and so when you're old because we worship youth in our culture yeah. or postpartum i'm touched out or this or that but we don't have to adopt those as our personal narratives because i i it, it just doesn't have to be true.
2: Yeah.
1: Being touched out is an excuse. What kind of sex do you want that actually fills you up? What kind of touch do you want so that you feel nourished by this and want to be touched? Not like what kind of sex do you have to accept? Yeah. So we have to take initiative about how we want to direct
0: those interactions. Yeah. Well said. Okay. What is your favorite part about the work that you do?
1: Oh man, I, I'm totally, hopelessly, powerless over my passion for what I do. So there can't, there's not really one. Yeah, one you can thing. tell. I mean, I have. It's been pretty awesome having people read the book and then tell me like they moved in with their mom because they read the book and they realized they were going to mm-hmm. need much more help. And before they thought, oh, I don't get along well enough with my mom, but they realized that. They would like to repair that relationship and so they would like to to try that or super i mean i had someone come in the other day who after three sessions we, before she came she'd had yeast infections and bv for like 10 years like since she was 16 and since we worked together she hasn't had any yeast infections um and it's not diet related at all she had already done tons of diets and given up sugar and done all those things so it was just based on our work together wow. um, I've had women who
2: yeah it's pretty fr- profound women who thought they would never have sex again because they were so damaged after they had their kids and then they're like they come and they get some sessions and they realize they put it together like oh this is why this happened and this is why my uterus is hurting so bad and I didn't even know that's why I was pushing my husband away and their, their marriages probably would have disintegrated because they just couldn't even handle the amount of trauma that was stored in their pelvis and then they come back and they're like I'm having pain-free sex and they're so happy so you know that's super rewarding but it doesn't require that for me to feel rewarded it's just the fact that people are getting you know my sole call is heal the unspeakable and so I think whenever you're doing what you're really meant to do then there's infinite rewards
0: yeah it's yeah it's so it's so inspiring everything that you do um okay uh, a few more these are just kind of silly questions um about you we'll, like lighten it before we wrap so greatest lesson on parenting reality.ideals what are some of your favorite daily routines, like the first few things when you, you do when you wake up in the morning and the last few things you do in the evening to relax or shut down at the end of the day? I don't have routines. I like that. Um, okay, favorite part about being in New York? Friends. Um, best thing you've eaten in the last week? Spaghetti squash mm. pasta with... Sausage, kale, and parmesan. Oh, that sounds delicious. Um, Okay, greatest lesson on relationships? Life is long. Mm. Okay, well, first of all, thank you so much. I just want to honor you for the work that you do and for doing my podcast. And congratulations on your book. Thank you. And the name of this podcast is Let It Out so do you feel like I really rung you dry for all of your wisdom <laughs> is there anything else that you want to let out that you wish that I would have asked about that I didn't anything that you want to share
1: uh, I mean I just I hope people receive this as a call to action
2: mm-hmm.
1: because that's what it is it's time and it's now and we can do this so stand up Get the help you need. Don't suffer in silence unnecessarily.
0: Yeah. So good. Where can people find you and your work, and work with you, and your book? My website is magamama dot
1: um, I'm on all the things. Well, we'll not all. To, we'll link to everything. Instagram and Facebook really is all I do. Um, my book is on. All the places, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Shambhala is my publisher. Um, and I work in LA, New York, and San Diego is where
2: I'm from.
0: Cool. Thank you so much. All right, that was my episode with Kimberly Johnson. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. I learned so much from her. I think she's a really interesting person who has so much... To share and is doing something really specific and needed and i'm really glad she did the podcast and hopefully all of you guys learned something new and maybe having a session with her is something that you want to try or checking out her book and i highly suggest both of those things all right now that you've listened all the way to the end you know what time it is it's time for the emoji emoji and I actually have someone here who handpicked the emoji for us. I didn't pick it myself this week. So would you like to tell everyone who the emoji is? Yeah, I handpicked the uh, pregnant woman. She's got a purple turtleneck. She's got a nice, um, kind of like, like a, blo- a, a blonde bob. bob. I think we call bob. it a bob. Yeah, I think so. And
2: she's like, she's like holding her little pregnant yeah. belly.
0: Yeah, she's adorable. She's super cute. Yeah, she's super cute, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Kimberly works with, you know, mothers, and she's a mother herself, and... We just thought this was a pretty spot-on emoji. When you have sex, sometimes you get pregnant. Sometimes. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't. Not always. Luckily. (laughs) Luckily. For some. For for some people, yeah. (laughs) In this class. Yeah, right. Okay. In this family. (laughs) Okay, goodbye. Thank you for listening. Love you guys. Talk to you next week. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you in part by FreshBooks.com. You know FreshBooks, you love FreshBooks. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I use FreshBooks. I love it. It's the easy to use online cloud accounting software. You can personalize the colors and you can even add your logo. It's great for sending invoices. It really makes you look buttoned up and it's great for tax season. You can even set up FreshBooks to import expenses directly from your bank account. So whenever you purchase something for your business, it instantly uploads it to FreshBooks. I love it. And FreshBooks is ridiculously easy to set up. It's made for people who don't like dealing with numbers and their taxes. Right now, FreshBooks is offering a free 30-day unrestricted trial to our listeners. So to claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash let it out and enter let it out in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash let it out and enter let it out in the how did you hear about us section. Thank you, FreshBooks. Do you guys know about the brand Third Love? They make bras and underwear designed for the modern woman. When it comes to bra shopping, it's all about finding the right fit for you. And there's only one lingerie brand that offers bras in sizes Devil A through G and half cup sizes. And of course, that brand is Third Love. They use thousands of real women's measurements to create bras that fit, look, and feel great. To find the bra that you've been waiting for, all you need to do is go to Third Love's website and take their fit finder quiz that takes about 60 seconds. And from the comfort of your own home, you. Find the bra that's best for you. I hate dressing rooms, and with Third Love, you can try on bras from the comfort of your own home, and returns and exchanges are always free and easy. This year, make the change that will make you change the way you think about bras. Go to thirdlove.com/slash let it out to find the perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com/slash let it out for 15% off. Thank you, Third. Third love.